You're listening to the weekly Barsha podcast recorded with Hashem's help in Ramapet Shemesh, Israel, 5768-2008. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Va'era. I'd like to skip from the beginning of the Parsha all the way down. Seven, seven Makos. We have Dam, we have Blood, Sardea, Frogs, Kinim, Lice, Arov, Wild Beasts, Dever, an epidemic of all of the domesticated animals, Shechin boils upon all the people. And Barad is the last of the plagues that we have mentioned in this week's Parsha. Barad is the hail. Now this hail that we're talking about is not ordinary hail. As the Medrash tells us, it was a mixture of fire and ice. And miraculously, the ice did not put out the fire. And the fire didn't melt the ice. Unbelievable thing. But interestingly, the way the verse puts it, it doesn't seem to be that the actual hail itself was what scared Paro so much. More so, it seemed that the thunder, the heavy thunder was what created the fear within the heart of power that led him to say to, to Moshe Rabbeinu to pray to God to take this away. Now when Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to introduce this plague to, to Paro, He says as follows in chapter 9 verse 14, On this time, I'm sending all of my plagues upon your heart, upon your servants and all of your nation. So Rashi there says something very interesting. He says, from here we learn that Makas Bechoros, the plague of the firstborn, was connected all of the all of the other Makos. It corresponded or was greater than all of the other ones. So Rav Shimon Schwab points out that it, that this is obviously a mistake. The commentaries go to town on this Rashi. It doesn't. It doesn't. What does Bechoros have to do with here? What does the plague of the firstborn have to do with Barad? Rather, the Grud he brings down the Grud. The Grud says that. When he says makas bechoros, it's actually a mistake. It really means makas habarad. This makas habarad, this plague of the hail, was the most difficult plague for Paro. The question was, what was so powerful about this plague? And the second question is, where indeed do we see that it was so powerful? So much so that it's called, it's, it's greater than all of the other ten makos. The answer, says Rav Schwab, lies in the response of Paro to this plague. What does he say as soon as this plague begins? He says, Hashem HaTzadik. God is righteous. This is the same God that originally he said, I never heard of this God. But he said, Hashem is righteous, and I and my nation are evil. We see the power of this plague that had the ability to bring to power a recognition of the fact that he was completely wrong. He was evil. He was a Russia. And Hashem was correct, and Hashem was righteous. Now something interesting I saw pointed out, is that what was righteous here? What did what did he see the righteousness of Hashem here? Because Hashem had had told him, you and your nation, if you're smart, you listen. Because I'm going to send Hashem. Hashem warned them before that there was going to be this utter desolation, this utter destruction. And if they would have paid heed, the damage could have been avoided. But instead, they didn't listen, and that's why Paro said that Hashem is tzaddik, Hashem is righteous, and I and my nation are Rishon. We're evil because we caused this damage and destruction to ourselves. So the question that comes up here and recurs really throughout all of the Makos, it's not just by Barad, it's really by all of the places, is that we see that constantly there's this theme that Paro, he finally gives in and he says he's going to send out the Jewish people. But then as soon as the plague is over, he says, forget it, I'm not sending out the Jewish people. He has a change of heart. Now, the problem is, what happens? Why does this happen? And if you'll tell me it's because God hardened his heart, Specifically over here at this point, by Bard it says he hardened his own heart. It's not that Hashem hardened his heart, he hardened it himself. 
And it's also more difficult because here he himself says, Hashem hu atzadik, Hashem is the righteous one, and I and my nation are evil. Clearly he has recognition of the fact that, that he's wrong, and he's not doing the right thing. Why is it that so quickly he loses, that, loses sight of that? And I think that the answer to this question really has very much to do with something that we've mentioned in the past, but it really bears mentioning again, because it's something that we need to really take to heart, we need to constantly hear. It's not enough to hear at one time. And that is that many times a person can see a message, can know something clearly, but as soon as the message is taken away from before him, it's gone. He loses it. A person can see Hashem's hand, he can see that God's taking part in his life, but as soon as it's gone, something bad happens, so then there's a question, oh, where is God now? Only when Paro felt an imminent threat to his life, only when he felt that there was something that was going on right now that clearly showed God's hand, that's the only time that he was willing to say, okay, you guys can go. But as soon as that impetus was gone, as soon as the sting from the smack stopped hurting him, so then it was over. It was over. He lost it. And it's something that we have to face all the time. You know, we get an inspiration, we have a, we hear a Parsha podcast, and it does something, it moves us, and we feel like we're gonna change, we feel like we're gonna be more connected to God, but as soon as the podcast is over, it's over. Or we have a ins- moment of inspiration, we come to the Kotel, we come to the, to Eretz Yisrael, to Israel, and we, and we, we're really inspired, we really wanna change, or we go to Yeshiva, or something happens and inspires us. And it just doesn't happen, nothing changes. We go through a Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and we're really ready to change our lives, and nothing happens, it doesn't change. How can we change? How can we take the lesson from Paro? Paro was not willing to change until the knife was mamish on his throat and he felt like he was about to die. That's when he was willing to say, Claudio can go out. Do we need that? Do we need to have the knife on our throats in order to change? So I saw a very beautiful idea brought down in Reb Chaim Shmulevitz's Sefer Sichos Musar. Reb Chaim Shmulevitz was the Rosh Yeshiva of the Mir. He was the head of the Yeshiva in the Mir in Jerusalem. And he was famous for his Musar, his ethical teachings, and for his insight into human nature. And he brings down the following idea. There was a man by the name of Palti, Palti ben Laish, Palti the son of Laish. And he was supposed to be married to Shaul, the king, king Saul's daughter. The only thing was that King Saul's daughter was actually betrothed to David, King David. However, Saul, King Shaul said that the, the betrothal was null and void. Palti, however, knew that it wasn't true that King David really was betrothed to this woman that he was supposed to marry. And what happens? Palti marries her officially, but he does not consummate the marriage with her. He doesn't do anything with her because he knows that she's really indeed betrothed. And when I say betrothed, that means the first step of marriage. She was already completely engaged and married in a certain sense to David. What does he do, Palti? How does he prevent himself from doing any sin? How does he prevent himself from being with this woman who's sleeping in the bed next to him? He takes a sword and he stabs the sword into the ground between the two beds and he says, whoever crosses this line is worthy of death. The question one has to ask himself is, what does the sword accomplish? If he's going to want to do something wrong, regardless of the fact that there's a sword in the middle of the ground, he's going to do it. How does that sword help him at all? The answer, says Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, is that the sword itself is nothing. It really is nothing. All it is is a reminder for the person for his commitment. Because a person will make a commitment to himself or make a commitment to others. He'll be inspired. And he wants to take on something new and change his ways. 
However, it's very difficult because the person has to realize that he is, in a certain way, he's like an animal. And he does the things that he's accustomed to doing. And it's very difficult to break out of those habits. However, if a person creates some kind of symbol for himself to remind himself, this is what I want to do, I want to change, I want to do something, I have a commitment to myself, I have a commitment to others. Whenever he sees that symbol, it reminds him that this was his commitment. And that was what Palti accomplished with the sword. It reminded him of his commitment not to cross over that line, not to do anything that he knew was wrong. As another example of this, I remember years ago when I was in Yeshiva Farakaway, learning, learning in Yeshiva there, on Purim, so people would get drunk, and it was amazing because you, when, when a yeshiva guy gets drunk, the real inside of a person comes out when they get drunk. And the real inside of these yeshiva guys, even the guys who weren't spending their time all day learning and they weren't involved as much as they would have liked to be in the learning, but when they would get drunk, they would, all they would be talking about is, I want to learn. They would be crying and crying, I want to learn, I want to learn. And I remember, I don't remember if it happened to me, I don't remember who, who it was that said it, but I remember someone saying, one guy to the other. One guy was saying, oh, I just want to learn, I just want to learn. He was crying, he wants to learn. And the other guy says to him, if that's how you feel right now, you have to make a commitment. You have to do something. Take that, take that inspiration that you have and concretize it and make it into something real. As I mentioned last week, Shovavim, this time, these parshios, when we're in Machazik, we're strengthening our amuna, our trust in God, our belief in God, our faithfulness to God. It's a time for us to strengthen our tahara, our purity in thought, in deed, in action. And there's a very interesting etzah I saw in a, one of the Hasidic svarim, a very interesting idea that he says. He says for a man, and I'm going to get to women also, but if a man sees something, let's say, that he's, he'd prefer not to see, and he's, he's in a situation that he has no choice, so in this particular sefer he brings down that what a person should, should do is he should focus on the name Aleph Dalad Nun Yud. Hashem, one of Hashem's names. It's brought down in the footnote there on the Sefer that the name Aleph Dalad Nun Yud represents, represents Malchus, represents Hashem's kingship, which is the feminine, the feminine aspect of God. So when I read this, it, it bothered me a little bit. What you see something that you shouldn't see, you see a woman, and um, so you tried to direct your thoughts into womanliness of God. It didn't, it didn't really make sense to me. And later. As I said, when, when I said last week's pshat, when I said last week's Dvar Torah, so it occurred to me that the idea that a person can inspire himself with is if a person thinks about the name Aleph Dal and Nun Yud, it represents the Shekhinah, it represents the divine presence dwelling upon a person. That even when a person is faced with a situation of difficulty, of, of challenge, it's an opportunity for him, if he, if he doesn't give in to the difficulty, if he doesn't give in to the, to the Yitzhahara, the evil inclination to look at something he shouldn't, so by him strengthening himself, he's bringing the Shekhinah down upon him. So if a person thinks that, a person doesn't have to think about, oh, I'm a horrible person, I'm, what did I do, I did a bad thing. A person can encourage himself with positive reinforcement. Look, I have an opportunity right now to, to purify my thoughts, to divert my thoughts, think about Hashem, to maybe think about a Dvar Torah that I heard, think about this great Dvar Torah that Ari Goldweg said in the weekly Parsha podcast. Whatever it is, a person has the opportunity, a person can take it and, and, and really make himself a Kadosh, make himself much more holy. It's especially important now during this time when we're reading the Parshas of Geul, of the redemption from Egypt and it's something that God willing will help us speed along our own redemption from the Gullahs that we're in from the exile that we're in as well now something that women can do to be marbe kedusha to bring on greater holiness upon themselves and, and, and bring down the shechina into the world bring down the divine presence into the world is to be more conscious of the idea of kol kvudu melech penima 
It's very interesting. The words are, the greatest honor of the daughter of the king is her inner essence. When a, when a woman protects herself from the outside influences of the world and she tries her best to be tzanua, to, to dress modestly, and she tries her best not to be too attracting, she's allowed, she's allowed to be attractive, but not to be too attracting, and she keeps herself humble, and she really values herself and doesn't cheapen herself, by, by that idea, by, by doing those things, it brings down the Shekhinah to the world as well. It's an opportunity for her to connect to Hashem and, and to, to raise the whole world along with her. Thank you for listening to this Tvar Torah. I hope you have a very good Shabbos and a very good week.